You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 5. You could turn there in your own Bible if you want. I think that's really cool. How many of you bring your own Bibles? Yes. And your, your iPhone doesn't count. How many of you still bring your Bible, like an actual Bible? Yes. Okay, good. It's a lot of you. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. Uh, a lot of people think, like scholars, historians, etc., think that this, uh, this passage I'm about to read was an early church hymn or an early church uh, saying, like a poem, something they said and reminded each other of. And it says this. It says that our attitude, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let's pray. God, we do thank you this morning for, for sending your son Jesus to die for us. And Jesus, we pray to you as God, who being in the very nature of God, uh, God, we thank you. Jesus, we praise you. We love you. We thank you that we can learn about you this month, learn about your birth as we celebrate that this December. And God, we're just so grateful, so honored that, that, that you know us and that we can know you because you came like one of us and died. And, and so, God, we just praise you. We thank you. We're excited to learn more about you this month. And everybody screamed. Amen. Yeah, so we're studying Christology this month. And, and I think sometimes December is, is a time, of course, for Christmas. It's also uh, a lot of time for reflection. And you look at, like, the, the new year will begin at the, at the end of uh, December 31st. We'll, we'll celebrate New Year's Eve, and then the new year will begin. And so a lot of December sometimes is looking back over the last year. I know Time and USA Today usually does, like, articles on who is the most influential people of like 2010 and you look over back over the year and you're like who who is so just the most influential person this last year a lot of people are saying that obama our president of the united states of america has been a very influential person this last year or uh taylor swift uh, any taylor swift fans oh yeah lots of guys fans of taylor swift uh, musical just to get like entertainer of the year and uh, new albums and etc that she may be in the list and the running for the most influential person of 2010 maybe also in the running sarah palin and and uh maybe um as a pres- maybe a future presidential candidate and etc etc maybe she's in the top 10 or the top three the top five of the most influential people of 2010 this next one my personal favorite if there was a vote i'd probably vote for this guy as the most influential person of 2010, the, the, no one even knows his name. His name is uh, Paul Vasquez. They called him the bear. And he, of course, is the guy, the double rainbow guy that saw the double rainbow and loved it and freaked out. And it's just like, I like him as like the most influential person. It's like, man, just lighten up, you know, enjoy the creation. Just calm down. Just live life like that guy. He's pretty cool. 
Anyways, uh, and then and then like and then like Time also just did an article on like the last ten years, the most influential people of the last ten years, the decade, and, and maybe some other names come as more influential of the last ten years, like maybe Bill Gates, um, influential over the last ten years, or Oprah, the most influential person over the last ten years, maybe. Or um, I was reading a book, or at least I saw a book titled the the one hundred most influential characters that never existed. And so uh, at the top of that list, maybe like this guy, Homer, is the most influential character that never really existed. And then, and then you just start getting more serious and you say, okay, that's the last year, that's the last 10 years. What about the last 1,000 years? Who has stood the test of time for being maybe the most influential person since uh, the year 1000 AD up until now? And then you, the list gets much, I mean, the double rainbow guy would be nowhere on that list. He, his, you know, in 1,000 years, no one's going to remember double rainbow guy. Um, but, but they might remember this guy. Anybody know who that is? Anybody? Long, cool hair. Looks like kind of like a scientist. Maybe. No, it's uh, close to Galileo. Uh, a guy named Isaac Newton, uh, a scientist in the Middle Ages, uh, the gravitational theories and laws and um, all that goes along with that. Maybe one of the most influential people, maybe the most influential person in the last 1,000 years. Or maybe this guy. Probably don't know who he is. Anybody? He's a German guy. Invented the printing press. Anybody? Gutenberg, yeah. He, and so the, the inventor of the printing press, movable type as we know it today, and, and then and printed the Bible and other things, mass-produced things. Um, like one of the, maybe the most influential person over the last 1,000 years. And then we open it up to like the entire known history. Who's the most influential person ever? And maybe on that list we would have someone like this guy, uh, an ancient Greek philosopher. His name is Aristotle. Of course, we know him. He's you know, you just think, oh, over all of the history, the, all of history, who's been the most influential person? This guy would probably be on some kind of list like that. But then you think, oh, well, maybe maybe religion has influenced people, and, and maybe the third most uh, popular religion, Buddhism. Uh, maybe Buddha would be on the list for the most influential person of all history, forming, you know, his, his meditation theories, etc., uh, led to Buddhism as a religion. But then you're like, oh, there's bigger religions than Buddhism. The second biggest religion in the world is uh, Islam, the founder of Islam being Muhammad. So maybe Muhammad is the most influential person in the world. And of course, the, our list as, as Christians, I think we would be proud to say that it, just about at every list that I know of, of, of the most influential people that have ever existed in the entire world is Jesus Christ. The, the Yeah, hand for Jesus. Um, that he, he not only, I mean, he's obviously the, the founder of Christianity, which is the biggest religion in the world, but he's also a prophet within uh, Islam. And then despite those things, even if you're not a religious person, the teachings of Jesus, uh, surrendering yourself, honoring you know your neighbor above yourself the golden rule etc these things have have gone into the the world even the secular world and even if you're not religious jesus thoughts have still influenced you and your life and so we're talking today uh, all this month actually about christology the study of jesus christ and i think what i just thought we'd open this month and like you know, he is a very influential figure, if not the most influential figure that has ever lived and walked on the face of this earth. And so what do we say about him? And as Christians, we have a lot to say about him. And we'll get to that all this month and, and, and today, of course, as well. So we're studying Christology, uh, study of Jesus. 
Um, that's all this month. Last month we talked about evolution and creationism, and we we got into debates and like what different Christians believe, and it was just very like decisive, like like indecisive at the end. We're just like, well, we don't really know, and, and there was still lots of debate, and it was kind of like a cliffhanger. I felt like we ended last week, and but now this month is a new month. Christology. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about something that that we're not going to like stand up and debate about who he was. As Christians, we'd say he's God. He's the founder of our religion. He came and sacrificed. He's Lord. That's who he is. And so as Christians, we all like figuratively hold hands and say, you know, we're all on the same page with Jesus. We love Jesus. Let's we're not going to like last month was just like a like a debacle, like debates. And it was kind of like shenanigans all last month. And this month, Jesus, aren't you happy about that? I don't know, maybe it's just me. I just get excited about Jesus. So, uh, yeah, we're studying Jesus. If you're new to the Mel Sunday School, welcome. There's cards, I think, on all the tables that say, get schooled. Uh, it's our visitor card. You could fill that out, bring it to the people as you leave uh, in the lobby, and they'll give you uh, a, a CD of some music that was recorded at the mill, which is the mill is our Friday night. That's our main meeting, and so Sunday School is kind of a, a small group of the main meeting on Friday night, 7 o'clock, if you, if you haven't been. Uh, check it out. It's pretty cool. And you'll get a CD from some, uh, some worship of, of, of that mill meeting. But um, this is the Mill Sunday School. We're kind of like the gathering of nerds of the mill. We like to go deeper. We like to take uh, theology, the Bible, study uh, very seriously. And so that's kind of what you've come into if you're newish. And so today, let's ask the question, did Jesus exist? Did he exist at all? As far as historically, did he exist? And I remember... Uh, in my own life, like looking back to fourth grade, I had um, this friend, and I only had a few friends, uh, and so he was like one of, my, he was probably my best friend actually in fourth grade, and he was like a tested genius, and so he got to like skip school sometimes and go to these special genius club meetings and like learn about owls and like get tested, and, and he's just a really brilliant kid. He's a tested genius, and and I remember talking to him about religion one time and we'd go over to his house and he always loved playing this dumb video game it was like i'm I'm kind of old so like my fourth grade the the nintendo was just not out yet i think it came out like the next summer and uh there's like an atari but it was really expensive and it kind of sucked and so no one really had an atari but this kid had this video game it was i mean he was a genius so you'd think he'd have this like really sweet video game they love to play but we'd always go over to his house and the video game was just a vhs tape and and two um like controllers (laughs) And you put the VC, v, VHS tape. Does anybody remember these games? You put the VHS tape in. You'd push play. And then you'd, like, like obviously you weren't controlling the game because it was the VHS player that played the same thing. Everything was like a spaceship shooting up other spaceships. But you would, like, be controlling it. And, you're, and the, the controller would light up. But there was obviously no interaction between this remote and the VHS tape. So this genius kid is like, why, why is that your, I just thought, this is so dumb. And, but I just always play it with him. You're like, yeah, we got, we got him that time. <laughs> it's like, it's the same thing. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's a random rabbit trail. So the, the genius kid, I remember one time being over at his house. That's where I was going with this. Sorry about that. Um, playing this, uh, after playing the video game, we started talking about religion and his family didn't go to church. And so he asked me why I went to church. And I, I, I went to Catholic church all growing up as a kid. My parents raised me Catholic. And, and he was like, asking me why I went to church. I was like, well, my parents dragged me. And he was like, well, you know, why do you believe that, you know, Jesus ever even existed? And it was a question that never really occurred to me. I was like, huh, no one's asked me that question before. He was like, yeah, how do you know that people didn't just make it up? 
And I was like, huh, I don't have an answer for that. I, I've never even thought of that question. And I remember on that day just being like, yeah, how do we know that Jesus ever even existed? How do we know that it's not just a story that people made up? And how, how do we know that? Um, and as a kid, that, that question just, just fascinated me. And I think at the moment, I was just like, yeah, I don't even believe it anymore. Just because he asked me the question, how do we know Jesus existed? I kind of like started to give up on my faith in that moment. But there is this theory out there that it's called the, the myth theory or the Jesus myth theory, that Jesus was simply a myth. He, there's no, the, the, the myth theory says that, uh, I'll just put it up here, that, that Jesus was not a historical person, but is a fictional character. And so, um, his, historically, um, I, I, no one in, like, that studies history, like no histo- historians would say that Jesus was just a mythological, non-historic person. But it's often an argument used by people. It's like, oh, we don't even know that Jesus existed. It's all just myth. And so you're like, well, where did he come from then? Well, he came from, he was created by early Christians. That early Christians got together and wanted to believe in someone that was God, and so they made up a story about God coming to earth, and then they all believed it, and, and that's, that's who to blame. I mean, everybody likes blaming Christians anyways. It's like, well, where did Jesus come from? Well, Christians made him up. That's what Christians do. They get together and they make stuff up, right? No, but, but people say that. Um, and so they, they say uh, Jesus never even existed, um, but that... that, that takes it takes somewhat of it's kind of like the chicken and egg problem it's like christians just got together and made someone up and then believed in that lie like why would you like early christians were known for being martyred and dying why would they make something up and then knowing that it's a lie hold to it so strongly that they would be willing to die for that and then it's just this idea of like you know it's not just like a mythological like two-page story of 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 a God that comes down and it becomes a human. No, it's like it's it's four different gospels and lots of details and history of when he existed and what he did, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's it's like it's like it's chicken or egg problem of like did, if Jesus didn't exist, then someone would have had to existed to to at least start the story off. And and as as you go into history, you find that of course Jesus did exist. Even secular historians, uh, it's, it's just like, duh. He, of course, he existed. There's maybe some debate over what he did or if he was God, but Jesus existed. There's overwhelming evidence that he is a historical figure that started Christianity. There, besides the four Gospels that we have, which seem to be very historically accurate, their name, uh, governors and places, times, etc., that are historically accurate. We have, outside of the Bible, writings like Josephus, who wrote about Jesus, who was, uh, he said, Jesus was started the Christian religion, did miracles. Uh, the Roman authority Pilate sentenced him to the cross, uh, for claiming to be the Messiah. And that, so Josephus is a Jewish historian. We have Tacitus, and uh, a Roman historian, considered the greatest historian of the Roman world. He refers to Jesus Christ and the governor Pilate, and he refers to early Christians. And then besides those two secular sources, we have all these Gnostic sources. Maybe you've heard of like Gospels that didn't really make it into the Bible, but had stories of Jesus, and so references of Jesus. We have all these other books and writings that refer to Jesus, the Christians, early followers, that it's just so overwhelmingly 
uh, obvious that Jesus existed in history. It'd be like saying, yeah, I'm not sure if Julius Caesar existed or like Alexander the Great existed. It's like, why would you even say that? Like, there's so much evidence say that he existed. And so if these two things are true, I, w- I want to give us a discussion question to think about. If Jesus did exist, and we could show that just with historical methods, if he did exist and he was the most influential person of the world, then, then I just want to ask you this question. What do non-believers say about Jesus? I'm sure you have friends or family members, relatives, whoever, that aren't Christians, that are non-believing, that they don't believe in Jesus, was, was God. So what do they say? What, what would they say about Jesus? Who was Jesus? And they'll give you some sort of answer, which, which may vary uh, depending on what they believe and where they're at and who they think Jesus is was but assuming he existed assuming he was the most influential person that ever existed what do non-believers say about jesus so turn to somebody around you um just list some ideas maybe you've had conversations uh, of what actual non-believers have said about jesus but may make a very small list within the next minute or so ready get set go All right, let's, um, I think there's a couple dudes or dudettes with mics. Uh, there's, there's the dudes, uh, mic dudes. Get their attention. Um, if you want to say that, just the question being, what, what do non-believers say about Jesus? I think we've got, yeah, here and then there. Yeah, go ahead, Emily. That he was a do-gooder. He's a do-gooder. Yeah. That's he's, coming from the do-good. The do, yeah, their last name is do-goods. <laughs> think about it. It's ironic. <laughs> yes. That he was just another prophet. It's just a prophet. Like, he, he did good things. He was a prophet. Um, yeah, in the back. That, uh, that Jesus wasn't, that Jesus was self-declared to be the Son of God, but Jesus wasn't really the Son of God. It was so all he, just kind of a sham. It's just a sham, just like someone who just wanted a lot of attention. So, so you have like he was a do-gooder, he was a prophet, but then maybe he was actually doing bad and just like getting people to follow him like a cult leader of some sort. Yes, sir. Uh, that he was a benevolent liar. Just a good, like a benevolent, like he was a good guy, but he yeah. just lied. Yeah. He just likes to lie, but he's like benevolent, so he did good as well. It's like some lying, some good. Any anybody else? I mean that 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 really sums it up. There's there's um, I don't see any more hands. So that the idea that. He, there's this one side that says, oh, he's a good guy. And especially if a non-believer is talking to you and they know you're a believer, then maybe they'll just say nice things. Like, yeah, oh, Jesus was a good guy. He was a prophet. Of course, he taught about self-sacrifice and on honoring, your, um, honoring other people above yourself. That's just good. And you're like, yeah, that's good. But then some, sometimes, you know, especially if you talk to someone who's more dogmatically atheist, they'll say, well, he was just an upstart, just someone that, that wanted to, attention and, and fame. And so he got, he got followers to follow him because that's what he needed. He just wanted people to follow him like, and, and be famous. And so he was kind of a bad guy. And so we have these different uh, ideas of, of what he, of course, did and said. And we'll get to this argument later today. It's called the, the, the C.S. Lewis trilemma. Maybe you've heard it before, the liar, lunatic lord. I think I've taught it um, uh, before. But we'll get to that later on today and kind of combat this idea that he was just a good guy. And maybe you already know that argument, so you'll have to bear with me towards the end of Sunday school when we, we, when we bring that up. But for now, I want to talk about this term, the historical Jesus. 
And that's often, um, I think it's in your notes, uh, just as the historical Jesus. And I'll give you a definition in a second, but it's a different Jesus than the Jesus of Christianity. The historical Jesus is probably something you've heard in maybe a college class. If you studied um, like ancient history or history that would spread over the, the course of when Jesus lived, you might talk about the historical Jesus. It's almost like a secular approach to who Jesus was in history. And so the definition very shortly is just refers to the scholarly reconstructions. I don't know why it has a reconstructions apostrophe S. Is that correct? I don't think so. Um, anyways, that's just my own bad grammar. Refers to the scholarly reconstructions yes, of the first century figure of Jesus of Nazareth. And so it's getting into the history. So if Jesus really did exist... And, and, and you'd say, oh, then, then how, did, how did these stories about him come to be? It's, it almost takes this idea that, oh, uh, of Jesus walked on water. Well, no one walks on water. So that part of this, the narrative of Jesus' life must have just been a myth. But obviously, something happened, and Jesus did live on this earth. So let's reconstruct a first century person of Jesus that taught good things and did good things and, and, but didn't walk on water because no one can walk on water. And he didn't heal people because no one really heals people. And he didn't rise from the dead because no one rises from the dead. But those, those myths or folklore was put into the text later. And so it's almost like taking the folklore out of the story and just saying, who was this historical character? Um, and in some ways, Christianity just says, whoa, that's bad. Don't, don't, and the historical Jesus gets a very bad rap. But there's another part of the historical Jesus that just says, yeah, let's line him up in history and study uh, the, the time in which he lived. Let's look at, you know, it says that, you know, in the time of uh, the Caesar and time of Herod, it was like, look, let's look at these figures. Let's look at other histories and, and, and say, here's what, how Jesus must have acted in, the, in that context of that history. And to that, we'd say that's a good thing. We're studying if Jesus really did exist as a, as a man um, some 2,000 years ago. Let's study the context in which he lived. Let's, let's reconstruct him in his historical context. And so the historical Jesus, I think, should be a good term. And that's a real, we're just looking at Jesus and history. But it's often, and we'll talk about this later, uh, goes alongside of a, a very secular atheist view of Jesus that just wants to separate the Jesus of Christianity and the Jesus of history. It's this quote, uh, which I think, uh, if, if you want to know who kind of said this, uh, this, this question is a, a, a guy named William Lane Craig, kind of an apologist. And he said, uh, this, th- is Jesus guilty before proven innocent or innocent before proven guilty? It, it, meaning, like, do we just assume that Jesus did not walk on water because nobody else can walk on water? Therefore, he's guilty of, of lying, or the, at least early Christians are guilty of lying about walking on water. Or, like, say, Jesus own claim about himself. He said he was God. He said, I and the Father am one. Pretty big deal. But of course, no human can be God, you know, in in a secular mindset. Therefore, Jesus was lying about that. So he's guilty of lying. So so it's almost like, do you come to the text saying that, oh, it's all made up, at least the miraculous parts? Or do you come to the text and saying, something must have actually happened because early Christians believed it. It's It's this mindset of coming into the text with, oh, it's all made up, or there is some truth behind it. How do you enter into the text? And I know that 
for a lot of secular atheists looking at the text of Scripture, one of the main things that, that they'll throw out and, and kind of argue with Christians about is the birth narrative, the, the Christmas story, the nativity story of Jesus. And I know uh, some of you, do, do you know who Richard Dawkins is? It's a big a- atheist figure in the, in the debates, and he wrote a book called The God Delusion, which I read a couple months ago. And in it, one of his big, like, attacks against Christianity is the birth narratives don't line up. And if the birth narratives don't line up, then Jesus is just, you know, if, if the, the, how he comes into the world is made up, then the rest of it's just made up. And Richard Dawkins goes on and on about the birth narrative. And so let's, let's think and look at the birth narrative. I mean, this is Christmas season, at least, right? Good time to look at the birth narrative, right? Merry Christmas. All right, so the birth narrative. Uh, Only two of the four Gospels have the story of the birth narrative. Did you know that? Which ones? Luke and Matthew. Yes, John doesn't have it. Begins right with uh, like the baptism of Jesus. And in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Matthew begins right with Jesus' ministry going out and and cleaning uh, the Spirit and, and how he moved in the Spirit and a healing story right in the very beginning. But Matthew and Luke both begin with the birth narrative, the stories of Jesus being born. And, and what, what secular atheists would say is, oh, there's two big prophecies about the coming Messiah. Maybe you know what these are. In the Old Testament, written hundreds of years before the Messiah would come, Isaiah 7:14, this famous passage, uh, Christmas passage, it's often read, and you have to realize that, oh, it's written a thousand years or so before Jesus actually came, um, it says, Isaiah seven fourteen. it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, of course, meaning God with us. And so that's a pretty cool prophecy, knowing that this text was written hundreds of years before Jesus came, and Jesus' mom claimed to be a virgin. And so that story would obviously have to end up in the text of the birth narrative, which, of course, it does. And we celebrate that. And we, 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 we say Mary was a virgin and it gave birth to Jesus. Jesus was God. It's a big part of the Christian birth narrative. And another thing um, anti-Christians or atheists will throw at us as, as say that, oh, Isaiah 7.14, that, that word there for virgin is the word Alma. Has anybody heard that before? And Alma could have been uh, a virgin or it could have just meant a young girl. Have you heard that before? And so it's just, oh, a young girl will, will give birth to, uh, and we'll call his, his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. But the problem with that is, and, and then obviously the argument would go on to say, oh, Mary was not even a virgin. She was just a young girl. It's all just made up, blah, blah, blah. So the secular argument goes. But while it is true that Alma could be virgin or could be a young girl, it is also true that uh, there's no instance in the Hebrew writings where Alma refers to a young woman who was not a virgin. And this argument just kind of blows that away, that that the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Greek translation is called the Septuagint. And the Septuagint was written 132 BC, before Christ came. And they obviously had to translate this word Alma into Greek. And the Greek word they chose was Parthenos, which means virgin, someone who has never had sex. And so, therefore, 130 years before Jesus came, this word was translated as virgin, someone who had never had sex before 
Jesus came in, you know, 3 or 4 AD. Therefore, the argument really doesn't hold water that, oh, this text is just saying that a young woman will have a kid. No, it's, it's much more than that. It is prophetic saying that the coming Emmanuel, God with us, will be born of a virgin. Pretty cool, because then that, of course, ends up in the birth narrative. The other prophecy is Micah 5.2. Have you seen this before? But you, Bethlehem, Arapatha. Arapatha is just another name for Bethlehem or the area around Bethlehem. Uh, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one from me who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. And so here being this prophecy that the coming one, the, the one from old and ancient times, will be come from Bethlehem, which where was Jesus born? Bethlehem, yes. And so the birth narrative has both of these uh, principles in it, that Mary was a virgin and that, that, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So here, here so you're just kind of listening right now, but going back to the, the problem that, that Dawkins and other people will throw at Christians and say the birth narratives don't line up, they don't make sense. Um, once again, there's only two birth narratives, the one in Luke and the one in Matthew. And, and if you look at the one in, uh, say, Luke, um, you have, uh, let's see, here's a map. I don't know if you could see that map, but at the bottom it says Judea. There's a big red circle that says Bethlehem. Towards the top it says Galilee. This is a map of Israel, obviously, and a big red dot that says Nazareth. And so you get these two stories. In the, in the book of Luke, there's this long birth narrative where Mary is in Galilee. Gal- Nazareth is in Galilee, so she's in Nazareth. And she, uh, an angel comes to her. And an angel also comes to her. Uh, is her cousin Elizabeth that has John? Is her cousin? I think it is. Um, who, who, who is going to have John the Baptist? But she is down in Judea. That's in the very south uh, of, of, the, of this map, in the picture at least. And so Mary, it says Mary goes to uh, Judea to see her cousin. And then, and then she obviously comes back to Nazareth at some point because then they have to go back down to Bethlehem because of the census, right? Okay, that, that's just the, the main story. And then if you look at the Gospel of Matthew, all it says is Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it just says Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And it kind of leaves out the whole story of, of, of Elizabeth and John. It leaves out the story of the census and all those other things. And so a secular person not believing the Bible and just holding the, to this idea that Jesus is guilty before proven innocent, that he is just a myth or a lie, would just say, oh, look, the birth narratives don't make any sense. You know, Matt, Luke says, you know, there's all this traveling that happened. Mark says... Uh, or excuse me, uh, Matthew just says, oh, they were just in Bethlehem, which kind of assumes, oh, are they from Bethlehem? The book of Luke says they were from um, Galilee. And then you just kind of build these assumptions. And we all know the joke about assuming things. I won't say it because this is Sunday school. Um, but you, you could just make these assumptions that, oh, they were, must have been from Bethlehem. But it never says that they were from Bethlehem. And even if it did, it's like, well, obviously... They were, in some ways, from Bethlehem because Joseph had to go with Mary and child to Bethlehem to be recorded for the census. And so it's just, it's like, what's the big deal here? And then they'll say, oh, well, it's, you know, one says they were, you know, all this traveling that happened and took place. And it's like, oh, she's supposed to be pregnant. And how can a pregnant woman go from Nazareth to Judea and then back to Nazareth just to come back to Judea for the census? And it's like, oh, it doesn't make sense. It's all just garbage. It's all just made up. And it's like, wait just a minute. How far is it between Nazareth and Bethlehem? And I pulled up uh, Google Maps. 
course, and compared it so, to give us reference to how far this distance is. And the distance between Bethlehem and Nazareth is almost the exact same distance between Colorado Springs and Denver, which really isn't that far. I mean, people commute to Denver every day for work, right? But then you have to realize, oh, of course, people weren't commuting back then from Nazareth to Bethlehem daily because there wasn't sweet cars that go 75 miles per hour or more on freeways. There was just uh, donkeys and horses and, and walking and sandals and stuff. So then you just begin to think, well, you know, it's really not that far. 60 miles is really not that far. It, taking your time, you could walk if you wanted to, to Denver, and, and it having, especially if you had like an animal to carry your stuff on, you could easily make it to Denver in three days. And, and, and so even a pregnant woman, let, let's give her seven days um, to riding. Or, and usually people traveled in those days by big caravans. It was safer to go that way. So she may have got to sit on a wagon or a donkey. We don't know for sure. But, um, um, and so we just, it's not that big of a deal. It's not, it just takes lots. It, it, it's almost like you take this assumption, Jesus is false. He's a myth. He made it himself up. And then from there you just say, oh, of course this story doesn't line up. It's too far and a pregnant woman. It's like, man, just, it's not that far, first of all. And, and if you just stop with the assumption that Jesus is a myth, that Jesus lied about who he was and what he did, and you just read the story for what it is, then it's, it's not this huge contradiction that needs explaining. It's just, that's, that's the birth narrative. He was born in Bethlehem. The, the family was probably from Galilee, and they had to get down to Bethlehem. And the, maybe there was a, there's a census thing that happened, so they had to go down. And it's just like, lighten up. It's just, you know, it's a couple, you have to assume that it's not lining up, or you could just read it and say, obviously it lines up. Does that make sense? Okay, so going back to this idea, uh, the historical Jesus is Jesus guilty before proven innocent or innocent till proven guilty? There's this thing called the Jesus Seminar. Has anybody ever heard of this? It was pretty popular in the 90s, um, and I guess it's still around today. It started in 1985, and what they do, that this seminar just seeks to, to find the historical Jesus, to separate the historical Jesus from the Christian Jesus. And so they'll go through the text of Scripture, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they'll they'll decide. And so originally the this this seminar was a group of 150 invited individuals, 150 like smart scholars with advanced degrees, and they were going to just separate the Jesus uh, of of the Christian religion from the Jesus of history. And so they went verse by verse through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and put it together. And they said, which verses do we think happened? Which verses do we think not happened? So you come to the verse where Jesus taught on a hillside some good parables. It's like, yeah, sure, that's true. But then the next page, he heals someone. You're like, oh, no, that's not true. Take that out. Of course, Jesus didn't heal anybody because no one gets healed. So take that out. And then like another story is that Jesus walked on water. No one walks on water, so take that out. And then he's like, get to the part about Jesus feeding 5,000. Well, take that part out. But then, you know, he talks about how he's the bread of life. We'll keep that part in, but we'll take out anything miraculous because those miracles don't happen. Those must have just been added in later by dumb Christians who wanted to believe in the miracles. So, so that's what the Jesus Seminar did. And it actually got quite a bit of um, uh, popularity and like, oh, they found the, the real, the, the historical Jesus. But then, there, of course, there was a reaction from that and um, some pretty... Uh, 
serious Christian scholars and historians said well, about this Jesus seminar that the voting system, the 150 people that just get to vote, whether this is true or not true, is seriously flawed. And they, you cannot separate the Jesus from his culture and setting. You can't separate Jesus from his followers. You can't separate the Jesus of history and the Jesus of, of the Christian religion. They're, they're one and the same. Um, and out of the 150, only like 14 of them were actually New Testament scholars. The rest of them were just like smart people and it's just like voting randomly. Um, and so they, they don't represent a cross-section of historical New Testament research. They just represent a group of similar thinking people. And the thing that they thought was Jesus is guilty before being proven innocent. Of course, he lied about being God because no human is God, etc., etc. So those things were just lies that Christians added in later. So, one more example of that is this guy. Anybody recognize that guy? Yeah, the Jefferson guy, Thomas Jefferson guy. And so he wrote, maybe you know this, he, is, he wrote the Jefferson Bible. Has anybody ever seen this or heard of this? Have you heard of it before? It's the Jefferson Bible, the actual title. Let me see, open it up here. The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And what Thomas Jefferson did, um, well, obviously kind of assuming that Jesus was guilty before being proven innocent of, and so Jesus lied. Jesus was a myth. Uh, Jesus, you know, existed in history, but of course he never walked on water or healed anybody because those things are impossible. Um, and so what Thomas Jefferson did is like, I'll, I'll just separate it all out and, and I'll have a text. And this is it, this little purple book here. You could come up and look at it later. It's pretty interesting because it just goes through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John and tells the story of Jesus, but erases all, any context of anything miraculous, it erases any context of Jesus claiming to be God. And you just go through it and you read it and you're like, oh, it's just, it's a very small story, obviously. This book's very small. And then I like the way it, I don't like the way it ends, but I think it's interesting how it ends. The last sentence is uh, that basically Jesus dies, they crucify him on a cross. And this is the very last sentence of the Jefferson Bible. It says, and they rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and they departed. Like, that's it like what about the resurrection what about like the the rest i mean the whole the gospels are like this you know jesus life and then death and then the the amazing ending is that he resurrected and so he could have at least ended with and then his disciples thought he resurrected or so i don't even know it just ends like they they rolled a stone over the door and they pieced out that that's the ending what like what kind of ending is that um but obviously you'd have to if, if you're Jefferson, you assume that Jesus is guilty before being proven innocent. You're not really believing that Jesus was God himself. You would just, of course, you'd have to end the story there because if there's any shred of evidence or anything about his resurrection, then maybe he was who he said he was. And so Thomas Jefferson just took out all those things. Um, sorry if you're like a big Thomas Jefferson fan. You thought he was like a Bible-believing Christian. Um, turns out he, he believed in his own Bible, <laughs> Thomas Jefferson Bible. So, which, I mean, has a lot of cool teachings of Jesus, but it leaves out everything about who he claimed to be, which is, I think, a pretty big deal. And, and this bigger deal, this, this statement, if you want to write this sep- statement down, that you can't separate the historical Jesus from the Christian Jesus. The Christians wrote down the stories of Jesus, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Paul writes about who Jesus was, and the rest of the, the writers of the Bible write about who he was because they believed it. They didn't, they didn't just write up lies that then they were willing to die for a lie. No, they experienced 
something with Jesus. And we can't just separate the historical Jesus from the Christian Jesus and just say, oh yeah, everything that doesn't have anything to do with a miracle is of course true. Everything that, that, uh, that has some sort of shred of miracle in it is of course false. No, you can't separate it like that. I mean, every other page is like Jesus healing somebody or doing something miraculous. It's just too much to separate out like that. You just can't do it like that. You can't historically do it like that. Um, here's five reasons. Uh, I'll just go through them very briefly uh, of, of why you can't separate the Jesus from history and the Christian Jesus. Number one, um, I guess I should have made slides for these. I apologize. But th- they were mainly just subpoints of this bigger idea. Number one, uh, not enough time for legend to happen. Um, the, the, this idea that we have Jesus living and dying, and then within the same lifetime we have the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark and John, for sure. Maybe Luke came a little bit later. But we have these Gospels. We have these accounts of Jesus' life. There wasn't enough time for all the miraculous stories and supposed myths to be brought into the text. No, like, myth does happen sometimes. Like, you know, if, like, you know, you see something happening, like, you go fishing and you catch a big fish, but then you release the fish. Maybe after years and years and years of retelling the story, the fish gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know how it goes. Um... And so, like, could that have happened with Jesus? And he's like, well, Jesus was just a guy, and then they killed him. And he taught some good things. Like, that's the real story. But then how do you get all these, like, healing stories? And there just wasn't enough time in, in one person's lifetime for all those stories with all their details to just enter in as far as myth goes. Um, so you can't separate historical Jesus from the Christian Jesus. That's reason number one. Reason number two, the Gospels do not read like folk tales or myth. They don't read like that. They read like history. They read, you know, it says, like, who was reigning governor? It says these actual places. It's not mythological kind of writing. Number three, uh, the Jewish transmission of sacred text was already well-preserved. People in that culture were used to memorizing large portions of, of stories that they heard and repeating them back with with insane accuracy like if you ever if you've ever memorized like a verse of the bible you're like dude i memorized this verse today and you're like dude high five yeah you memorized a verse sweet but like jewish little boys would memorize genesis exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy if you were like dude i memorized a verse today you're like dude you need you got a long more bible to go anyways um, this idea that the, the culture was just a very oral tradition, knew how to listen to a story and then repeat it. Their minds worked that way. Um, I guess our minds could still work that way today if, if we valued memorization and repetition like that. But anyways, so the stories would preserve accurately till written down by Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Number four, eyewitnesses were still around. Number four, eyewitnesses were still around. That, that if, if this gospel was claiming that, oh, Jesus healed this lady and, and then he rose from the dead and, and, he, and he fed 5,000 people and maybe you were one of the 5,000 people, you'd be like, you'd put your hand up and be like, dude, I didn't get fed that day. Jesus just fed himself. Um, that's what happened. There would, be, there would be writings against Christianity very early on saying that this is all just made up. This is trash. I was there. It didn't happen like that. It happened like this. Jesus just... You know, he, he just died and he didn't resurrect. And, and I was there, I saw, I was with, I was one of the disciples and, and I, I didn't see Jesus. They all claimed they did, but he wasn't there, etc. Like there was, if it was all just made up, people would have reacted negatively at the time when these myths were being, myths being, were being circulated. 
And number four, or excuse me, that was number four. Number five, um, the, 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 the gospel writers have a historical, reliable kind of track record. Like things line up, the places line up. Uh, there's actual people in history, Herod, uh, Augustus, etc. were living at the time. And so you could place Jesus in history. There's a historical track record there. So those are the five reasons. Sorry, I didn't make slides of those. But um, just more of a sub more of subpoints from this bigger point that you just can't separate the historical Jesus from the Christian Jesus. They're one and the same. You can't just take out all the miraculous stuff because that's so interwoven into who he was. You can't just take out any time Jesus claims to be bigger than a, a man. Uh, like when he says things like, before Abraham was, says, I am. And I am is, of course, the name for God in the, in the Hebrew text, Yahweh. He, and so he's taking on that divine name. And then at that moment, of course, people around knew what was going on, knew what he was saying, because they picked up stones and they were going to kill him right on the spot because he used the holy name of God, saying that he was before Abraham and he was God. He, t- he tells Philip, Philip, you know, if you, Philip says, uh, show us the Father, Jesus. And Jesus says, Philip, haven't you been with me so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he says, I and the Father am one. He's, and then he's like, all these, you know, he says it quite a few times throughout the gospel and, and, and that he is God. He's claiming to be the Messiah, the Christ, God himself. Which brings us to this guy. Anybody know this guy? Dude, it's C.S. Lewis. Good old Clive Stapleton. Um, Lewis. Pretty cool first name. Probably why he went with the letters, Clive. Um, but he, if you don't know, he's the same dude that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Did you know that? He's a really big Christian dude. Uh, when is that book? The, the, the movie comes out next month, right? Next week. <laughs> Everyone's like, next week, you idiot. <laughs> sorry. I sh- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Probably just offended everyone in here. Says, you idiot, next week. <laughs> sorry. So that comes out next week. It's a pretty, bi- it's a pretty big deal, obviously. And um, we're definitely going to go see it. <laughs> um, so he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He's a big-time Christian writer. Who, who's ever read something by C.S. Lewis? Lots of hands. If you haven't, look around at the hands. You probably should read something. He's an awesome writer. Uh, probably his biggest book, as far as the Christian uh, stuff that he wrote, was Mere Christianity. Anybody read that one in particular? Lots of hands. It's an awesome book. It's kind of like, here's proofs for why you should believe. Here's who Jesus is. One of the arguments he uses... In that book is about um, Jesus being either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. It's called the Lewis Trilemma, and it's a pretty cool argument. With with um, you kind of have to someone to use this argument as like ammo in a in a debate. Someone has to first agree that Jesus existed, and then they 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 would have to say something like Jesus was a good guy. He was a prophet. And then from there, you could say something like this, which is a direct quotation from mere Christianity. And so I'll read it, and it says this. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I'm trying to prevent anyone uh, saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's what people say. I'm sure you've and you're talking to non-believers, would hear people say, you could probably hear them saying it now. Hey, Jesus was a good guy. Jesus was a prophet, but he wasn't God. 
And then it continues. That is the sort of thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, whatever, or he would be the devil of hell, a liar. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. And it's this idea, if you think about it, that that if you just say Jesus was a good moral teacher, you say, okay, well, what did he teach? Well, one of the big things he taught was that he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. He spoke with authority because he was God and claimed to be one with the Father, claimed uh, to, to be the great I am from before Abraham. It's like, that's what he taught. It's like, okay, well, I guess he's not a great moral teacher then. He taught some moral things, but uh, those claims, uh, he just wasn't who he said he was. Well, you're you're saying he was a good moral teacher then. It's like, yeah, he was, but he was. And and then they're just like, well, well, then he was was what he said he was. Because if he lied about who, who he said he was, then that wouldn't make him a good guy, would it? It'd make him a liar. And so he was either a liar or then maybe... Maybe he believed what he thought he was saying. And Richard Dawkins, uh, a great atheist, secular writer in, in The God Delusion, said, well, Christians use this argument, liar, lunatic, Lord, but isn't there a fourth option? Couldn't Jesus just have thought he was the Christ, thought he was God himself? And it's like, well, doesn't that make him a lunatic then? If, if someone, if anyone claims to be God and they really believe they're God, but they're not God, what would you think they were? Crazy, a lunatic, yeah. And so, <laughs> and so the argument, kind of, it really does work as long as someone's willing to say that Jesus existed and that he was some part of a good teacher. If someone says, oh, Jesus never existed, then, and you try to throw the liar, lunatic Lord at them, then they're just kind of like, I just said they didn't exist. <laughs> but, but if he did, he would be a liar or a lunatic or Lord. It's like, well, he, doesn't, he didn't exist. So as, as long as they accept he existed, and then if, if they accept that he, uh, maybe if, if you're arguing with someone, and you're like, yeah, Jesus was crazy. And he's like, well, he must have been either crazy or Lord or liar. It's like, well, I just said he's crazy. So it, it, the argument, I think, really does work if someone is willing to accept that he existed, which I think, oh, historically, it's he existed. It, just no, there's no denying that from a historical point of view. And then that, that he was a good teacher, if, if someone is at all inclined to say he was a good person or if he was a prophet, then it's just a matter of showing them, well, look what he said about himself. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be dying for the sins of the world. And that is, is truly awesome and, and amazing. And it's that if it's not true, then he was a liar. He was crazy and believed it himself. And so it's with that, I think this great proof of C.S. Lewis, I'm a C.S. Lewis fan, that, that, that we could talk about Jesus um, next week, we'll, we'll talk about how he was God and human at the same time and how this is so important to our faith. But let's end with prayer. Let's end praying to him as if he's here in the room. And that's what we believe, that he, that he came and died and he lived this example of, of life on this earth. And he died, but he was resurrected with a glorified body. And how awesome that was that we can, that we can worship him. And, that, and that, that the fact that he resurrected from the dead proves that he was who he said he was. And so, Jesus, we do thank you. We, we love you and, and praise you. We know that, that you are an awesome and great moral teacher, but you're so much more than that, that your teaching said that you were God. 
And so, Jesus, as, as Christians, we affirm that. We say that we believe that you were who you said you are, and you still are because you, you died, but you, you resurrected from the dead, proving to everyone and proving to, to us that you are who you said you were, that you're God, you're the Messiah, the Christ, the one who came and died for the sins of the world. And, and we believe that. We affirm that. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you. Amen. Amen. All right, everybody, officially dismissed. We'll talk more about Jesus next time. And we'll see you next week. Peace.